Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. Hey, pal. What's your vibe? Need silicon inspiration? Hell yeah, mate. Get them both, my standard utteration. Good. Now I would say hop those feet through Glasgow's no-goes to Parney Street, but living as we do in the age of the virus, between us, I'd stick in your houses and click on your mouse thus, because only a fool says there's a rule that you can't buy talent. That's well off kilter. You play the guitar? Well, I play the filter. Gonna add to cart so the noise can start. This module sounds like stars coming apart, like a rip in the fabric of time and space. It's that one in that video that guy said was ace. These modules are odd fuel for music creation. I think they're taking the piss giving them names like this. Do you want to buy a mum, mate? Thanks, I've got one. And her first name is Kate. But names aside, I rate the recommendations. Even though radio music doesn't tune to radio stations... Though they also retail haggis, and no, I'm not taking a piss, I will say this. Their taste is the bomb. What's their name again? It's signalsounds.com. Hi, welcome. Today, we're going to talk to Jeff Lee. Jeff is the mind behind System 80. Now, you may have seen me use the Jove filter, which is a Jupiter 6 inspired analog filter for Eurorack. And I like that filter extremely very much. It sounds absolutely rude. And Jeff is the person who made it. Jeff makes many things, many of which, in fact, if not all of which, are Rolandy inspired. So today is an opportunity to have an unashamedly Roland tinged conversation, although other brands are available and mentioned, including the one beginning with B, which is a thing that you contend with if you're a person who makes versions of things. So, for example, perhaps you make a Jupiter 6 inspired filter, but you also make an 808, because Jeff is the guy who makes that little 808 for Eurorack that you may have seen. It's a 60 HP module. It looks like a gorgeous wee little 808 because it is, and it's analog, and it works like an 808, but it can be MIDI clocked and it can be analog clocked, and it's really good. I have one that Jeff sent me for doing beta testing with, and which I have never and fully never tend to return to him, which we also talk about. Because if you're a bit nerdy about the 808, and I will hold my hand up for being relatively nerdy, at least I love it. I mean, I unashamedly, if I was a drum machine, you would cut me and I would bleed the 808. So much so that at one point I owned the 880, the tip-top 808 drums. I had a Yocto 808 that I'd purchased and still not built. And I also owned the little mini Roland TR-08, which is four 808s and potentially too many. So actually I ended up swapping the TR-08 for the tr 9 So I thought it would do me good to sort of spend some time with the 909. That's a thing. <laughs> thing that I thought and so uh, but actually I've recently sold the TR9 in order to get a TR8 which is the big green one 
the green one that everyone thought was whack. I'm going to go on a slight tangent because we're going to talk about Jeff in a second, his extreme nerdery about the 808. But the TR-8, the green thing that looks like it's been designed, you know, by a sort of 15-year-old version of, like, me, what I thought looked cool if I'd just seen The Matrix in 1999 and wanted to design a device, I strongly urge you to put on a pair of headphones and just fart around on a TR-8 No Zero, you will find that it works differently to how the 808 works and is infinitely more friendly, immediate, and for one express reason, and that reason is sliders. Whoever at Roland thought to put sliders on the TR-8 is, in my eyes, an absolute G. Sliders make it playable in a live situation in a way that only the TR-707 would be, potentially, because it has the same design. It's inspired by the 707, and the TR-8 gives you 808, 909, 707, 606, 626? Does it do that as well? 707, 727. It gives you, like, all the main drum machines, and you can mix and match their sound. Plus, if you have the expansion, some of the extra sounds are absolutely banging. It also has a sidechain input. It does not have an analog clock, but that can be forgiven. It is a very, very good drum machine. I am very impressed with it. And you can also get them for under 250 quid because people just don't want them. And I think it's actually one of the best things that they've made in a very long time. Jeff, however, when we talk about this, doesn't like the TR8 because he doesn't like the buttons. And I see where he's coming from, but they are very, like easy to click like they're clickable and you can run your finger along them so they're okay but i respect that not liking the buttons is a (laughs) connoisseur's issue and that is the kind of person that we want to have on this show someone who is deep into buttons like jeff but jeff is not only into buttons but circuits and what i was so delighted to be able to do in today's conversation is to ask someone who truly understands the 808 circuit literally inside out what actually changes with 808s as they get older that whole thing about every 808 is different oh and your clone is rubbish because it doesn't sound like my 808 because of course no two 808s sound the same what does that actually mean And Jeff actually can answer that question and gives me the answer. So it's, I found fascinating. And so entirely, without further ado, I would like to very much present a chat with Jeff Lee from System 80. Thanks. Yeah, how are you? Uh, well, you know, I was all like calm and relaxed and like, you know, mentally prepared for a nice two-hour interview. And then at like 5.13 local time, uh, the fire alarm went off and it was like, please leave the building. And I'm just like, seriously? Can't that. Yeah, and I've got four kids and one of them was asleep. So it's oh. like, and, and none of them are wearing socks. <laughs> so oh. like, yeah, so I live in a building that has probably like 200 apartments. And so there's oh, like, God. and everyone's home. So they're just like, okay, all of you get uh, out there, crowd into the stairwells and like wha- leave the building. Yeah, so um, I think most people didn't listen though, so... 
Uh, I think it wasn't. I think in the instance of fire, fire trumps not to use that. Oh, I shouldn't have used that word. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> fire beats COVID nineteen. You've just got to go out. But as you said, you've been separated from your family, like your your grand or well, your parents, and yeah, yeah. So we're holdups. There's my wife and my four children in a two bedroom apartment in downtown Toronto. Um, and so it's, uh, it's not been, it's been okay, I guess it's been fine. Where do you have, do you have your work? Is that where you work? Or that, that is your normal place of residence? Yeah, it's my, those are my normal place of residence. I have like a studio workshop that is in a, believe it or not, in our two bedroom apartment, we actually have a spare room. Um, and the, incredible. yeah, and the spare room is, uh, it was originally half studio and half workshop uh it is now half workshop a quarter studio and like a quarter like kids gaming computer desk station yeah so um i recently packed up like three quarters of my studio and put it in my in-laws basement um for just to store it until Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't this know blows it, over. Yeah, something yeah, happens. Something and until what's I know. In, so <laughs> wait, what's your skeleton studio then? What is? What's uh, actually? What do you keep? If you've, you know, the bombs have dropped now. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's. I'm not complaining. It's it's pr- primarily centered around like an ARP 2600 and a Jupiter 8. Oh, <laughs> and, God. And God, of, I've just realized yeah. I, I was like. <laughs> While you were stood outside in Toronto, I was leafing through your Instagram and I was yeah. like instantly reminded that I was like, oh God, he just got the Art 2600. That's FS. right. Yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. With the keyboard and everything. Right. So, uh, talk me through, talk me through the unboxing experience. Uh, it's pretty amazing actually. So, uh, I, I, I got a call from, so in Toronto, rather hilariously, our, our sort of local synth shop is called Moog Audio. Uh, yes, um, I've heard of them. Yeah, they're not called Moog Audio. They're called Moog Audio. Oh, I see. To, to, <laughs> there is no copyright. Yeah, to distinguish them from the uh, synthesizer company. Absolutely. Um, Fair enough. And they, they started in Montreal. I used to live in Montreal like almost, I don't know, 22 years ago. Yeah. And that's where they started. They were actually like a record. They were like in the in a little shop in the back of a record shop, a little synth like they sold turntables and dj mixers and stuff in the back of a record shop in montreal um, nice. and uh they were and this is when moog was out of business or what you know maybe big briar was doing stuff um late 90s yeah late 90s yeah so they yeah. were like well of course we can call ourselves moog audio oh, yeah. uh and uh yeah. so they yeah so they're based in montreal they have a toronto store so that's who i ordered it from so i went there I needed a minivan. I needed a van because it's the it's a big because it comes in its own flight case. Um, it's like I love that as well. It's so it's so wholly inappropriate in the modern age. It's just like it's just so how things are not done. No, exactly. So it's this beautifully crafted flight case that's like obviously it's just hand built. Like this this is. This, none of this is a mass produced effort, right? Like, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just, so it just has a little bit of packaging on the top and bottom. And then, um, yeah, so it's pretty easy to unbox and it comes in this like bomb proof flight case. And then Does it have casters. Yep. Yeah. Oh it's got, God. yeah. So you can wheel it around and <laughs> you can it, sit on it, it weighs a ton. Like I have an, I have an original 2600 and it's, it's like chunky, but it's, it's, it sort of feels like a big hollow box with like a little mm. bit of, a little bit of circuitry bouncing around in it. Whereas the new one is 
probably 20 or 30 percent heavier it's like beefier um the wood maybe yeah i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know what they did uh because i've seen some someone's got one and opened it up so i've seen the interior shots and is it it smd it's yes yeah as, as far as i can tell it's yeah it's smd it's and it's as far as i could tell from the shots that i saw it's all one giant circuit board whereas mm. in original 2600 there were like three circuit boards that were divided among like three separate panels that were yeah. sort of divided and they were all connected together with with wires it's a mess if you've ever opened up an original 2600 it's just like a disaster inside <laughs> um, so it's not it's not ribbon cables it's no like point to point wire. yeah it's just ridiculous Dang. and it, yeah and so it's like so I got my 2600 in a trade, so I didn't spend, you know, 10 or $15,000 on it or whatever the going rate is now. But if what did I, you, can I ask what you traded for it? Please oh, say car. Yeah, no, I, it was, yeah, no, it was another modular synth. It was, a uh, I had a, I had a big, uh, five U mod can system. Um, and that's a good, that is a respectable trade. Yeah. 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 So it worked out pretty well, but when I got it, I was like, this is a flimsy piece of crap. Like I, I can't believe <laughs> I just traded I, in Canada's finest. Yeah. For, I get this like beautiful, well-engineered, like locally built synth that nobody's making anymore. Yeah. And I got this like, like hollow piece of garbage. <laughs> like this is like, like, why did I do this? Um, so, uh, but yeah, the the new one is amazing. Um, it's just built like it is built better. Like I think the 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 wood enclosure is maybe a little thicker or something. Maybe that's why it's a bit heavier. Like the originals were made out of like pretty thin plywood, and this this definitely feels beefier. I mean, uh, Korg is really good at making things, right? Like I I've, I've actually never laid hands on the their sort of skinny version of the Odyssey. But I think a, a, a mini 2600 from Korg is probably going to be amazing. And, you know, there were some sort of leaked or teaser shots of it online that I was Yeah, there were these horrendous, at. weren't they? Yeah. It and a little I, bit too good. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I think, yeah, I, th- I think they would do a good job in the same way that they did a good job with the, with the, the sort of the slim Odyssey. I mean, my journey to the I'm a bit of a 2600 phony I would say because uh I what what well, how are you phony yeah because my I, my gear life is sort of divided into all the analog classic gear that I acquired when I was actively making music so I was very serious about writing music and writing songs and making albums and um and you say this like this isn't part of your life now it isn't but, no <laughs> yeah you retain some of these yeah exactly trophies. so i i transitioned like i was a very avid gear collector but also a very avid gear user starting in about 99 2000 mm. and then i was pretty fairly prolific like was actively making music until about 2012 as mini system um, as mini system yeah exactly and then yeah. i i just had too many children um and <laughs> the, i you, didn't have <laughs> let's have a, well, let, well let's come to that <laughs> i want to start so where where see this is interesting to me so it's like but you're still you still have the gear and you still make music you've never given up on the concept clearly you you must noodle around with these things yeah oh no so i what is it a museum you know, no, it, it, it's a bit of both. What I've transitioned to is being a noodler. Like, 
just jam, jamming for its own sake. So not using a computer, not songwriting, right? What I was really focused on years ago was really like writing songs because that's was like, I have all this gear, I have the studio, I have a DAW, I have an audio interface, I have a mixer. Like I have all this, this big collection of analog synths and drum machines and I'm going to use them all to write music in this very arc, sort of archaic way. So I kind of got all my gear, wrote my songs had too many children and then um <laughs> there was just a point because you you are are you the sort of primary caregiver for your kids yeah yeah so i quit my job uh in 2011 after we had our second kid and yeah. i have like i was a molecular cell biologist for almost 20 years yeah um so i i stopped doing that in 2011 and uh over a two or three years transitioned into doing design work um which also ultimately culminated in system 80 i was already doing a little bit of diy synth stuff when i was still working um i was getting interested in you know installing mods and synths installing mini Mm. retrofits and stuff um and uh started doing a bit of repair work ultimately got into my own designs and the bigger longer story is that i wanted to design a polysynth um i mean you've got a jupiter 8 so why do you need why do you need any more polysynths after you've got one of those yeah so in the same way that i'm an arp 2600 phony i'm a bit of a jupiter 8 phony as well because and that there's the division i wanted to the point i wanted to make about the division is that i stopped like any gear that i acquired after i stopped writing songs that's gear that didn't get used obsessively and like really rinsed and loved and cherished because I was using it to write songs. So you use gear to write a song and you develop like a love affair with the instrument, right? So like, so 808, 909, CR 78, you know, Juno 60, uh, Jupiter 6. Yeah. Um, Like all of those instruments, I just you know, there's a very personal relationship with them because I was using them to write music. Um, just very quickly, can you just talk about the Jupiter 6 particularly? Because I think that's one, I, I am actually, I'm in the same building as a Jupiter 6. I have a Jupiter 6. Yeah. And I've, I have never gelled with the sound of that machine. That's why it was particularly interesting when the Jove is a Jupiter 6 inspired filter. And I would say that like, I think your version of the Jove sounds better than any sound I got from the Jupiter 6, which probably says less about the quality of the Jupiter 6, more about how little effort I've put into that machine. But but why that machine? What I, uh, yeah, so the Jupiter 6, again, I have this, I had this very special relationship with it. So um, I, st- this will turn into a long story. Uh, I, I got it when I was living in the UK. So I did my PhD in the UK. So I did my, I did my PhD at Cambridge University, and I've heard of that one. That's, that's a good right. One. And I've yeah, nobody's heard of it over here. There's like <laughs> no one's Cam- impressed. Yeah, they're like Cambridge, Cambridge, Ontario. Like there's there isn't a university there. Um, Future sound of London, Ontario. Yeah, as well, yeah that's there? right. So they, <laughs> so they. <laughs> So I got involved in the scene there, just, you know, discover warp records, reflex, all that stuff. And then by, I started, I started my PhD in 99, but it moved to London in 98. So I was in the UK a year before I started 
around 2000, I started to put together a studio, got interested in production. It was all such a weird journey because I, I kind of got introduced to weird electronic music through college radio. So when I was doing my undergraduate degree in a, here, I was listening to college radio, you know, circa 1995, 96 or something. And an Aphex Twin track came on. I think it was from I Care Because You Do. And one and only time I've ever done this, I like heard the song on the radio and I was like, what the hell is this? I've never heard anything that sounds like this before. Um, Up until that point, I'd been sort of more of like an industrial guy. Like I was into Mm. Nine Inch Nails, Ministry. I was like, what? Which track was it? You remember? I don't remember, but it was like, it wasn't Ventolin, but it was like, Mm. you know, like one of the, that's a weird, crazy record, right? Like, yeah. So so I just picked up the phone and I called the station. I was like, what am I listening to? Uh, And the college radio DJ was like, oh, it's this guy called Aphex Twin. And that was my first introduction to it. But then I finished my undergrad, I moved to London. I got really into drum and bass, living in London, the drum and bass scene, like buying records. And so when I started my PhD, I was really, I'd, I'd had a taste. I'd sort of got into some of, you know, some of the Autechre and I kind of divided my time between, between the sort of the more abstract stuff that Warp and Reflex were doing and, and then just going into like London record shops and buying white labels. So I had a little mini studio. I had like a Juno 106 and a couple of rack synths and stuff. And I don't know if anyone, you, I don't know if you remember this, but sort of before the days of Craigslist, there was a sound on sound message. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you mean on the website? On the website. Yeah. So still, it's actually still there. Reader's ads. Yeah. Reader's ads. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And so someone listed this Jupiter six and it was in like a, a block of flats. Like I was, I was staying in Greenwich or I was writing my thesis. So this Jupiter six was in a block of flats, not too far away from me. So like I took a bus over there and I went and it was like, you know, council flats. And so I went up and the place just reeked of incense and <laughs> it was no, you know, I, I keep in mind that I would have been 24. Five, twenty-six years old, and I and I went in and keen young guy interested in analog sense, and the the guy that I bought it from was like clearly from the like the late eighties, nineties rave scene. Um, oh wow! And had a studio just full of gear, and it was all dark yeah. and you know smelled funky. Um, and he was just getting out of production. He was like, um, you know, scenes changed. I'm done. So I, I bought his Jupiter six for 750 pounds, which I think seemed like a lot back then. But was that? Would you say it was late nineties? This would have been like 2002 at this point. So I got this Jupiter six home. I brought it home in a in a, a taxi and uh, yeah, turned it on. And like you, I just wiped didn't, it down. Wiped it down. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. I think it finally twenty years later, eighteen years later, is like lost the scent of its uh, last owner. I just started I, like you. I didn't get along with it immediately. Yeah. Um, it it took several years before I really got used to it. Uh, I think I'd cut my on it with analog synthesis. I'd kind of was still pretty inexperienced and sort of 
cut my teeth on a Juno 106. So mm -hmm. the idea of a second oscillator and sync and like two envelope generators, like luxury. Yeah. Well, luxury, but also like extra complexity that I didn't True. really know what to, to do master. with. Right? Yeah. So, and also, I mean, the Juno gives it sound to you like on a plate. It's yeah, just like, yeah. you, oh, could, yeah. you could close your eyes and just sort of yeah. like squiggle your hands on it and some good sound will come out. Whereas the Jupiter 6, definitely good sounds do not just fall out of it. No, it, not at all. Right. And so that's, uh, that's, it was, it's funny that, that way because I, it, it was a sort of difficult and and tricky to use there was a depth to it that the 106 obviously didn't have um so it was uh yeah it took me several years two or three years later i really started to use it but then it became like my best friend in the studio so what would you what was the turning point would you say like what what sound does it exemplifies it i used it for everything i use it for leads and bass and little plinky melodies and stuff but probably mostly it was used for arpeggios yeah so when i as a mini system i was writing this sort of like you know pretty melodic like techno pop um and so just having a nice polyphonic arpeggio where you can play you know the notes you'd have a nice long decay and so the yeah. notes all kind of like bleed into say, each other long, long release times yeah exactly yeah it's long release yeah exactly and so i had the europa mod done to it so i could then sync that arpeggiator to midi and and this was before Ableton, so there weren't like there were MIDI arpeggiators you could use in your DAW, but like they weren't kind of like as amazing or versatile as like the MIDI arpeggiator in Ableton. Yeah. So you you were you were limited to using the built-in arpeggiator on the on the Jupiter Six, and so and it resulted in all kinds of funny things. Like you sometimes it would be slightly like there'd be like a weird reset at the end of a bar if it was looping or something. So it was never easy. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of mostly what it got used for. So it was just, I, I like our nice, pretty arpeggios, driving arpeggiated bass lines, like stuff like that. Um, but I never really used the other filter modes, right? The, the whole point of the Band Jupiter six. The, yeah. Like, is it, and... Yeah. Is it like, I just, you know, stuck it in that classic, 24 db low pass mode and that's mm. how i used it um it was i didn't really start to appreciate and love those modes until i actually designed the 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 filter the jove um mm. when i started listening more critically rather than trying to fit a sound into a track but just listening to a sound on its own then i sort of fell fell in love with those other modes so yeah to answer your question like what is it about the jupiter 6 and i think it's it takes work and it's not not for everyone compared to like a jupiter 8 where it's like you turn a jupiter 8 on and it's just like oh it's like a 106 gorgeousness yeah, yeah it just sort of sings immediately right so the the yeah the sick and same with jupiter 4 as well like jupiter 4 you turn it on and you're like oh this is just like creamy synth amazingness um <laughs> yeah Jupiter six is, is it's the dark horse. Yeah. And every, and every aspect of it. I also think it's interesting that you took your aesthetic look for, for all of your modules and products very much, uh, you know, you've eschewed the, the Jupiter sixes like livery. There was a kind of, I love the fact that in Roland's sort of world, there are these kind of aesthetic um, modes that they were in. And, and yeah. the Jupiter 8 and the 808 are in one mode. Yeah. And the 909, the 707, the 626, 606, uh, no, sorry, 626, 727, yeah. and 505 are in a mode. 
and then there's like um then there's then there's like the really out there which also another brilliant so one is the jupiter six which is yeah you know, purple that choice yeah. of purple i'm now just gonna yeah. get a picture of the jupiter six to remind myself of the other yeah. colors but it's the sort of cream are those the switches on the jupiter six i am curious whether they are actually cream or were they white originally? Were they ice white? Uh, yeah, I think they were pretty cream. white. Yeah, because I, I so I actually a few years after I got my first Jupiter Six, I managed to get a second Jupiter Six um, in can, in in Canada, and it was it was considerably cheaper actually. Wow! Um, and yeah. uh, with one of them, I think the well, the one that I got from the guy in the council flat was you know all covered in it was all strangely yellow yeah yellow and <laughs> for some reasons yeah covered in n- nicotine and, and incense mm. and other resins mm. and uh his bodily resins and others. yeah and then the uh the one the local one i got was had was cleaner and so the keys, icy yeah. white like yeah it's like sort of i've seen people do that with like um you know super nintendos and stuff where they like they take them and sort of almost like boil the plastic in like yeah. uh, peroxide or something to take that yellow yeah. age off it. Yeah. There's like a cleaning product that you buy that it's called like something. I can't remember. It's like oxy white or mm. bright, bright white or something like that. Yeah. And it's like a paste that you put on your plastics and then you expose it to UV and that somehow takes the, gets reverses the yellowing that's happened to yeah. the plastic over the years. So, uh, but yeah, the purple, <laughs> It's you know, and I, I well, the, I was going to say the other one very quickly is the JX three P, which is yes, just like yeah. I don't think people give enough credit to how rad that synth actually looks. But like the is that the one that has the, the, they have like the chromed buttons? Is that the, yeah, yeah, which is just a wonderful choice, and yeah. also the the very JX three P font itself. You know, the yes, type, yeah. typography and that is is badass, and like the sort of green, blue, red kind of strips it's yeah, just like yeah. it has a complete other aesthetic that is gorgeous and and there's obviously a person someone i, I mean i would like to i don't know how that who was responsible for designing the aesthetic look of this like for example you know modern synths a lot of you know a lot of people don't realize that those are often contracted like uh, the company will design sort of the form reform factor and the knob layout yeah. and they'll pass it on to a company like design box and you get axel hartman that's right axel yeah. like irons out your aesthetics and in, in Euro yeah. rack we have uh, paper noise as well who that's right does a yeah. Lot of that stuff. yeah you know so i suppose my question is coming to yourself is like you obviously you know i'm looking at your your sort of panels and it's like you've obviously gone for that kind of feels like we're in the mode of Jupiter 8 and 808, but we're but not quite. There's that sort of yeah. Helvetica-y sort of vibe. Yeah, exactly. Good kerning and, yeah. and all that. And yeah, and that's that's very deliberate, right? Like it's the I like that era of instruments, just like all, that whole collection of Roland stuff that we were just talking about. That era from sort of late seventies till late, you know, mid eighties was just, you know, the design work was just amazing and clearly has a long lasting appeal, right? Because here we are mm. like 40 years later and we're still yeah. talk, talking about it and and trying to uh, reference it. Do you think that in, in 40 years time that the that people will think that the IRA is cool again? Like, yeah, the, yes. the green sort of... <laughs> the problem is when I think about, I mean, not to... Bad, you know, I love Roland. I also, I also would like to say that I think, I think that what they've done with the IRA 
with like the actual way it works and is laid out. Sorry, when I'm re- I'm referring to the drum machine specifically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think is really, really smart in ways that people don't give credit, which is to say that they've taken the faders from the 707 yes, yeah. and put them into a device. And that's what and that's what allows people to do what you were doing where it's like to 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 jam like Aphex Twin in selected ambient. You know, yeah, you can listen yeah. to the selected ambient works. You can hear that he just unmuted something. He threw up a fader. That's right, yeah. And you can do that because there are faders on the on the IRA, and you can't actually do that on an eight hundred eight in quite the same no, way. No, they're little; like, they're too small and fiddly. Now, if you see someone like if you see someone like Egyptian Lover, he'll people have developed these wrist skills. Well, like if they're doing <laughs> live eight hundred eight stuff, they'll like they'll like flick they'll flick that fader from mute to all the way up, right, in like a fraction of a second. But yeah, I, I played with a, a friend's uh, TR eight or TR eight S. I can't remember which one it was, and. Yeah, the knobs feel good. The the faders are nice, but the one thing that was real deal breaker for me was were the plasticky, multicolored step switches. Um, the uh, like the clackety sort. Yeah, of kind I'm, of- and this is where I'm very I'm very picky about uh, interface. You're a, bu- you're a button guy. I'm a button guy, <laughs> and I yeah, like I'm a yeah, I'm I'm a, I guess in that way I'm a cork sniffer, right? I'm just like I know. Uh, I'm just it. like yeah, I'm just like I'm just. I'm really fussy about that stuff, right? I like, I, in some certain ways, I would care less about how it sounds and more about like, how does that button feel when I press it? Mm. Um, and so when I was, it's ridiculous. I just, no, no, I have a friend of mine, my friend, uh, actually a, a fellow Lee, friend, a friend yeah. of mine called Steve Lee, yeah. <laughs> uh, has a, a button fetish as well. And I'm like, we've, there've been times where we've been walking around town and like, we've, he's gone to get cash out and he comes back, he was like, Go and try that cash machine because the yeah. buttons are yeah, amazing. Exactly. Yeah. You got a really so, nice clicky action. No, I, yeah, I'm exactly the same way. And I'm like, I I literally like I use this thing for five minutes and after pressing the buttons, and I'm like, the faders feel great, the knobs feel great, the layout is amazing. These buttons feel terrible. I don't want to use this anymore. Oh no. Um and that's just me, right? Are the are the original eight oh eight buttons like the times that I've actually played with a real 808, though, they've been a little bit flaky, but that's because yeah. the contacts were flaky. Yeah, and so there's I have a funny story about but more more button stories is because uh, get, getting into designing 808s and making 808 clones is I was repairing people's 808s. I repaired like four or five 808s locally, and I had a friend who brought one in that where all of his, you know, most of his twitch, his tack switches, the step mm. switches were very, uh, you know, uh, they weren't working very well. They were in, very intermittent. So, you'd, you know, you have to press it and then press it again. And sometimes you double press it and it would toggle yeah. on and off with one press. So, you know, the rec- there's a recommended drop-in replacement that's brand new and it's sealed. So it's, you know, it's good for 1 million presses and it'll never collect dust and everything. So I said, this is what I'm going to install. And so I bought the set of switches. And- 1 million presses is about a year with Egyptian lovers. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. Yeah, he's probably <laughs> replaced his, you know, a couple dozen times by now. So I replaced them. And when, when I got them all put in, the action was different. They, they, oh, no. they, they obviously they worked reliably, but they, they, they were mushy. They didn't feel as good as the originals. And so I explained this to my friend and he's, He's a picky guy, but he didn't mind. He was like, "That's fine, so long as I can press them and they work." But then when I did another, I did another one where I replaced the tack switches, and I I sourced 
the unsealed ones, which are will fail sooner but feel better, because <laughs> oh. I was like, I, I just did not like the feel of the 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 high quality, perfectly sealed switches that I that I used for this one replacement. So I went back to the the old. Like this sort of an version. analogy for life here. It's like you know, it's yeah. like smoking versus non-smoking. It's like yeah, I'll die sooner, but I'll enjoy myself more. Yeah, so that's I don't care. yeah. These switches will fail sooner, but while you're using them, they're going to feel amazing. Now that we're on this topic, one last thing about buttons is um you did an interview with these two transistor sound labs transistor sound labs yeah yeah so they make the stepper acid yes and that has really nice buttons mm. and the buttons are a little bit they're you know in the Eurorack world everybody you know we all source our buttons from like you know five different places right like you if you look at the like some of the buttons that i use i look at like an intelligent module and i'm like oh that's the same brand or not that many it's like no the world you, of buttons is yeah because if you want to if you get it a custom and you no one's getting custom molds made to to get right uh, custom buttons made unless you're roland or korg or behringer or something so mm-hmm. you're re- you rely on what's available from the various you know button and knob makers of the world and so yeah what so the stepper acid has they're they're unusual i've not seen them before in other modules and they mm. they feel really nice um and they're just kind of the right height above the panel and the the, the travel love those buttons <laughs> yeah but anyway that's back to kind of panel design you know to me it's the golden age right i have one more funny sound on sound story is uh, so like like a lot of people that were getting into production, especially in the UK, especially in like the late nineties, it was sound on sound and future music were like the two yeah, magazines that were absolutely. on the music stand. They They're responsible for, you know, the gear lust of tens of thousands of people, I guess. Myself so, included. Yeah. For kind of for the same reason, like the, I wanted a DX seven because there was, there was a preset yeah, in a DX seven that was used all over some drum and bass tracks or something and i was like i can't remember what it was but i was like i have to have a dx7 so gordon reed of sound on yep. sound yep. was selling his and he posted oh, it in the reader said so i actually went went and bought gordon did you reed's, go to gordon's yeah, house i went to gordon reed's house he wasn't there but wow. his friend his friend was there who might have been another sound on sound person i didn't know at the time and yeah so i bought i had for about two or three years i had um gordon reed's Gordon's. dx7 i'd like now now, straight up question: yeah. Did it have all of the original presets, or a Gordon? I can't. Recreate? I can't remember. I think it might have, but I, that's the real. That's going he too probably far. Reset it, yeah, um, I'd like to say, knowing Gordon, that he would have like he'd be the one person on earth who'd have reprogrammed yeah. <laughs> all thirty-two sounds to like exquisite different marimbas yeah. that he has crafted. But and that was the first time I saw a real analog because I was just getting into production. I was pretty green, and so I went. To, I went into, I think if I remember correctly, he had like a separate garage that where the st- studio was. And it was full of, I think it was the first time I saw a, a Doppler system. It was yeah. full or, or an analog systems system. system. Yeah. Um, you definitely was, got an RS integrator. Yeah. So it was, yeah. So, and, I, and it, there was a mini Moog there and there was like, you know, the real I mean, top. I, nice vintage gear was in this room and i'd never really seen it all together before mm. and so that made a big impression on me and i'm like i need to build a studio sure. that's interesting I, I've, I've sort of I've, I've met gordon many times and like yeah. talked to him about since and it's like i'm i don't have no data to back this up but i'm in my mind i'm i mean there's probably some people are out in the woodwork that we don't know about but i think gordon reed probably does have one of the 
most comprehensive synth collections right. in the UK, I think. Minus a DX7. Of, I was going to say, yeah. So <laughs> I would like to think that maybe he's got like, just he's like, I've got five of them or something. He had a Mark II or something. Yeah, yeah. This has no sentimental value to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, this other one was uh, Brian Eno's one. And, yeah. You know, so, so. But um, yeah, like, yeah, he, I think he's got one of everything pretty much. I mean, yeah. I've, I've sat on a, you know, I visited Archer and I sat on a bus with him and, and I was asking him just idle questions about any synth. And I mean, he, he does have a truly incredible, like, mind for like, just like, yeah, yeah. he's got like, he's got everything. He's got, I asked him the question of what's the difference between a GX1 and an EX42. Yeah. And, and he said, um, you know, with a little bit of like smugness, uh, is it an EX42? You know, the, the other like, organ-like super super synth but it's kind of an organ uh, he was like oh about 20 feet yeah. because he has both of them um, right <laughs> um, and i mean both of them are literally like concert size yeah concert piano size synthesizers well it's funny because i'm starting to loot like when i was really deep into it you know on vintage synth.com you know every day um uh, like i i had to you know you start to develop that encyclopedic knowledge of everything that is out there yeah um and i now that i'm not actively buying gear and lusting after gear i've really started i've lost it so you know i i i probably had the entire vintage since.com database memorized 15 years ago and had it's a all list gone now. yeah it's, mo- it's like it with- it's like yeah it's like i can't you've recall gone, you've just gone behind the panel and like replaced it with like esoterica to do with like you know components and, and yes yeah that's, you know, gone, that's you've gone a, yeah. you've got a layer deeper so you yeah. had to shed some of that I, knowledge that, that's so true. i had to make room for other stuff it's true yeah so i had to get really obsessive about vintage roland designs and kind of forget about you know a whole bunch of like late 1970s cork synths that i used to know all about <laughs> but never owned right like the do you, I, I mean you would say that you have a particular you've clearly got a roland like all of the things that you've made seem to me to be like things that are you know roland inspired and i want to talk a bit about like the cloning you know cloning sure, and the yeah, age of yeah. and the age of the big b as well it's like yeah. you know what uh, also interestingly your designs are open source yes his yeah are, his are not yeah um, obviously yeah um do you want to talk a bit about that like particularly also why roland like why are your things so rolandy and why not yeah why why are they not just corgi or you know yeah um, i think i mean ultimately it comes down to to my my personal experience right so first a lot roland is top of the list of all all the vintage synths that are used in all the music that i like um and i love the design and aesthetics and i love the way they sound um and you know the whole philosophy around cloning these vintage designs and that's changed a lot now that big b is on the scene um but when i was doing starting doing this about five years ago you there weren't a lot of like straight up faithful clones of things that were available um Mm. or the you know like so it was i really came at this with this idea that these, I have this collection of really nice synths that took me a lot of time and money to acquire. People should have access to this. Like, it sh- they shouldn't just be, you know, limited to the, these collectors and the people with the resources to acquire them, right? Mm. Because I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in the Toronto scene, 
there's sort of like a club of of men, always men, uh, who it's a bit of a pissing contest about who has every synth, right? And these guys, they're very passionate about their synths and they have, a lot of them have the money and resources to acquire whatever they want. So, you know, not long ago in the Toronto scene, maybe, I don't know, eight or nine months ago, someone in the Toronto scene was getting a, an ARP 2500. And mm. there was actually sort of ripples through the Toronto synth community that this 2500 was coming in. And there was actually sort of like an invite only like listening party where people were coming in from out of town to like, you know, sort of see and hear this 2500, um, which is great. That's, you know, it was cool, rare piece of equipment. Um, but a little bit like big B call them. I'm like, people, you know, these things should be more accessible. And if the, as I discovered when I started studying the designs, it's like, in my own limited way, I'm able to get some of those sounds and, and experiences out there again. Um, and I, you know, I really come from the, uh, in a way I'm sort of very uh, conservative and narrow minded in my uh, attitude towards synthesis. I really like subtractive analog synthesis. Mm. I really like that specific era of Korg, ARP, Moog, Roland, um, you know, circa 1975 to 1985. That those 10 years just produced so many amazing designs that sounded great. Um, and so I was really wanted to recreate the feelings and sounds of those instruments in my, in my own way, right? Like as to, yeah. the, best, and to the best of my ability. Um, then when a big multinational comes along and says, well, yeah, we can do that too. Um, then it's, you know, it changes the game a bit, right? Like um, there are certain designs that I was sort of thinking about or toying with and I'm like, Oh, well, I'm not going to do that now. Right. Like there's no point. Um, right. Cause you can get it for $99. Um, but does that, what about your 808 though? You know, that's, you know, you, and I really felt for you when I, when I saw he was bringing that out, because I was like, this, you know, there's clearly so much work yeah. that's gone into recreating. And, you know, and, and I should say, you know, I, I believe strongly that, you know, no, basically, I think you've done more of an 808 clone than they have done, because right, I think yeah. yours is more faithfully, it more faithfully acts like an actual yeah, way it yeah. has no sort of other bells and whistles you know much to people's complaining where they're like doesn't even have trigger inputs like that's right yeah fucking tally <laughs> off jeff like do one like yeah, you know, yeah. You might no, well C, just, no cv control or yeah 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 you should um, just literally just burn it burn everything yeah i know like, what I was the point just, yeah. i have to explain to people like yeah. you do realize you can't buy an 808 right yeah, now I mean, yeah you just can't buy one it doesn't no one makes one yeah i mean people make things like them but not like this and not yeah. in this form factor anyway. yeah the, i mean the market's market's big enough like i can't I can't make enough of them. Um, right. And, and it's, uh, and I say, I can't make enough of them. Like we make them in batches of like a hundred, right? Like right. in fact, the first batch we made a hundred and the second batch we made 80 and that batch now with this whole, you know, pa global pandemic problem, yeah. we've only made about a quarter of the, uh, of the second production. Um, yeah. and I have a big long waiting list. Um, 
So yeah, I wasn't actually that, you know, it wasn't, it was fine. Uh, because I'm bummed out. Yeah, no, because I don't like, I'm not in this to, to make crazy amounts of money. I'm in this, I make a specific product that really only appeals to a very small, specific group of people. And, and I'm, that's totally fine with me. Like that's, that's, if anything, that's what I like about it because the people that want an 880, like they, now that they have an option of buying like an RD8 or the the Roland version, the TR8, TR8, mm. TR8, yeah, T- and there's a TR08, TR08. Well, sorry, that's the one I was I referring to. Yeah, exactly. The so if you one. want, yeah, yeah, so if you want, you know, if you want the look and feel of an original 808, then you've basically got at least three choices now yeah. in, in hardware, Different and then obviously, yeah, and you got choices in software too. Um, so. What's nice is that when people buy an 880, like they have come to the decision to purchase it, like you know they have all of their options, and they've decided that for whatever reason they want an 880, they want they want it to be in your rack. They 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 want it to work more like an original 808. They you know everyone has their reasons, whatever those reasons are. By the time they've committed to buy it, they are already committed like yeah so i the, i get amazing feedback from people like which is really nice right like someone decides to spend three times more on a Eurorack format 808 clone instead of buying a 300 hundred dollar one like and then they email me to tell me how much they love it and that's like it's amazing right like mm. that's that like that i really like um so yeah as far as competition goes like we're very boutique right like we make such yeah. tiny volumes um that you know nobody even really notices us right so except for these people that really seek us out i suppose okay i, mean, I suppose the question would be what would happen if you then cloned your clone that's the <laughs> it gets into very different right thing. well exactly this is kind of and this is kind of you know the I noticed today that uh, you know they have announced a new euro rack rack which is uh it looks it looks to me a lot like the tip top happy ending kit. Oh, that's it's, right. Yeah. Oh, I haven't small, seen that. It's yeah. a small 84 HP desk thing yeah. with like a little uh, 4 HP power supply on the left hand side. And, yeah. I mean, uh, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they were, when the RD eight was being designed like this, my, there's a few tricks in the circuit design that you need to update it using some, there's a couple components you can't get. So you have to do a couple tricks to kind of get it as close as possible. And that's all out there, you know, in an open source. Well, yeah. Your, your design is, this is something very important to point out is that your design yeah. is open source. Like you, yeah. you have, what, can you talk about that? Why? Yeah. Why? why well, I think for one reason, uh, you know, these are clones, right? I don't, yeah. oh, I don't own these designs. I, I, I didn't put any of the intellectual energy into doing the original designs. Those designs are works of, you know, real engineering experience and genius and insights that, like, I, I don't have. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the the Roland engineers in the late seventies and early eighties, and the guys behind making the 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 uh the ota chips like the 3080 and the ir 3109 and yeah. you know that's where all the genius is right and then c- cooking them all up together and making them sound good you know the, the, all this stuff is just coming from service manuals um and so in my mind i'm like i don't just you know it's out there it's in the public domain in the sense that it's their service manuals are available the 
the circuits are not um, protected. Can't copyright a circuit, can you? The only way to protect it is to keep it a trade secret, and you can't do that if you're releasing a service manual that becomes widely available after 35, 40 years. So, but the, so the point around keeping them open source is sort of to say, uh, this isn't mine. Yeah. Right. I, I just took this and put it into a format that people can use. And if I ever stop making them, then somebody else can make them. And, yeah. you know, right now, just so that I don't see the my entire investment go down the toilet, I do have a non-commercial clause on my open source designs, which is unlike the mutable open source design, which is yeah. once once the mutable design is released, it's released without any restrictions whatsoever. Obviously, there's been lots of raging arguments online about what's right and what's not right to do with mutable designs. Um, but I, I put a non-commercial clause on them just because I have a guy that works for me. So I have to, you know, I have to balance like rampant cloning of my clones, right? Because the design is open source ver- yeah. versus like, I need to sell enough modules. To pay like, him as well. Pay, pay my technician. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we don't, we have a little bit of overhead. So, you know, we have to be, I, I have to balance that. Whereas I know mutable, like my understanding is that she does everything through contract manufacturing. So yeah. uh, once she perfects the design, it goes off to to the contract manufacturer, and all the uh, a lot a lot of the calibration, I think, even happens there. And then you know every module flows through her hands, but uh, it's there's very little overhead in that operation, right? Yeah. There's just you you have more upfront costs. So, but yeah, so that's the kind of the open source philosophy is. This is the. This isn't mine. This is for everyone. Yeah. And, and wh- when in the production ends, I do plan to uh, get rid of the non-commercial clause. Right. So then, right. Anybody can make it. I have. I've had a couple of really ambitious DIYers contact me and say, "Yeah, I really like. I want to build. I want to build your 880." And I'm like, "Well, it does have like 1,200 surface mount parts, and and uh, at the moment it's not well documented. So it's again, it's not again not like mutable and some of the other open source Eurac designs where Jove is is set up so that you go to the the GitHub, you can download this, the files, and you can make it. Yeah. Whereas 880, like just a very experienced DIYer could do it, but um, it's uh, there's n- there's no hand holding in the dot. There's no documentation, right? It's just the schematics are there, the board files are there, the firmware is there, and it's also meant the idea is that you know in ten fifteen years you want people to be able to service them, right? Yeah, like, of I don't, course. They don't want them to become garbage because they stop working. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, when well, you're going to release a service manual that then people can clone <laughs> your thing from. Yeah, yeah. Due, due diligence, yeah. like the uh, yeah, so Dave yeah, Smith's no, profit manual. Yeah. Pro, was it Pro Six Hundred? What was the, the Profit Six Hundred? Yeah, Profit yeah. Six Hundred. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, so yeah, it's all it's all there. It's all open source, and um, you know, so someday when I'm done with all of this, like when we're sort of like we're not making 880s anymore, like I would really like to see people make their own, right? Like mm. you know, because you can get a home cooked panel now front panel front panel is sort of the biggest barrier for a lot of people right is getting a decent quality front panel but now yeah. through through companies like um, magpie and grayscale and you know easy to get good quality panels in low volume so it would be cool to see like a group build whenever i have the time i'll be able to document it properly and then people will be able to build their own i would like to see different 880s with different eras of roland like 
you know, design. I'd like to see like a JX3P 880 or something like that, you know, like some weird, like aesthetic mishmashes. Uh, so there's a friend of mine. I had him, I had him build an 880. I sent him an, a prototype circuit board and I sent him some of the harder to get parts like the potentiometers and the switch caps and stuff like that. But he's an experienced DIYer, does kit builder. And so he hand assembled his own 880, a, a prototype version. I, this is before I'd had the panels made. So he had Magpie make him a panel done in 909 library. Uh, and if I'm it's googling this. Yeah, it's it's very hard to find. It's sort of buried it's buried on his Instagram, but there is a there is an 880 out there, one only that's done in kind of like the gray dark gray orange of the 909. Right. So here's something that I've talked I've sort of on this podcast variously spoken for you many many times where i've i've talked about like the the differences between 808s and it's a, that's a subject that yeah that is kind of like almost you know the stuff of legend at this point everyone knows that all analog synths sound a bit different and all drum machines that are analog sound a bit different yeah. and we know also that they change with age and, yeah and i suppose my question like how different and in what specific ways different and what what changes as what parts get old yeah like which which parts matter and what so when you and that's another thing just to throw into this as a question is when people talk about recapping old synths like recapping right. a Juno 60 or something right, what would that right. do other than you know sonically i would say like yeah. I, I know for example in recapping a power supply is a good generally a good move that's right and I, yeah and i've resurrected a desk of mine that i bought broken that and it, i'd just recap the power supply and it worked perfectly but but what does it do to a drum machine it's a complicated question because like part of me just wants to say well this is the original schematic here are electrically identical components that are all have all the same specifications as the original so you put it all together and you expect it to sound the same um and it very rarely does um and the, and what, what i've like specifically to drum circuits what i can say is that uh you you may be familiar with like the twin t resonator so a lot of the the analog drum circuits of the 70s and early 80s in like the 909 and the, the 808 and um so the, so the core some of the korg drum machines um they they use this circuit where you it's called twin T resonator and you hit it with a pulse and it and it resonates and it sort of gongs out so you do mm -hmm. so you know and like the membrane component of a snare drum a kick drum a tom a conga like they're all uh sometimes they mix two twin T resonators together sometimes it's just a single one and these ring out at a very specific pitch and the pitch is determined by resistor values and capacitor values and the your ear is so sensitive to pitch that just a slight difference in pitch of the same otherwise same circuit ringing out if it's just a few hertz off yeah. your ear hears a difference and i remember really getting into that because i was comparing toms 808 toms to mm. 880 toms to i have two original 808 so i was comparing their toms to each other and I was literally, in order to do comparisons, I did it for the kick drum as well. You, you want to compare them 
very accurately, you need to have them resonating at the same frequency. So I was literally like hooking up my scope and measure and like dialing them in so that they were within like a fraction of a Hertz. And that's when you could say, do these have the overall the same character? Um, and the, the answer is sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Again, it's dependent on the circuit, right? So it's a total mm. rabbit hole that you go down when you start painstakingly comparing a modern analog drum instrument versus a vintage analog drum sort of clone. Um, so the and I also got into it because you probably know the, the the all the lore around the Korg Volca Beats snare drum. Yeah, you know it's, it's well, only it's, people think it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> it needs improvement. It, it kind of needs imp- isn't great. It isn't great. And so there's some mods you can do. And I I got into it and reverse engineered it. Uh, and then later on, someone reverse engineered the entire schematic of the beats, which was amazing. And I, what I didn't like about the snare, I realized not only does it have this weird noisy decay that you can fix by adding a capacitor, but the the, the range of the pitch is that you, if you change a couple of resistor values in the circuit, then you get the pitch range in this, the membrane component of the snare that is closer to an 808 snare. Mm. You get kind of that closer range. And to, again, to, if you use the 808 snare as a reference, that's sort of like the, if you say, this is what I want an analog snare drum to sound like, I want it to sound in the same family as an 808 snare, then having that, adjusting that range of pitch brings it closer. Mm -hmm. So, and these are all just, we're talking like just a few Hertz difference, right? Like um, that are having these huge differences in perception. Mm. Um, so that's where, especially in these, in these, uh, these synths where you have these, uh, tuned circuits that resonate at a specific frequency, the, uh, these very slight differences between clones and originals and between originals, they become very apparent in AB testing. Yeah. So then how do you, what is right? Did you have you taken liberties on the eight eighty? Like, are there things that you? I remember when you sent me the this this one for beta testing. Like, I yeah, you know, like an idiot. I'm like the decay's too short. You know, yeah. but did I can't remember if you you've actually changed it. Yeah, which is to say, the decay is exactly accurate. Yeah, uh, it's 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 cultural misunderstandings of the 808 that, that lead people to think that it can do things that it can't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so I do. Um, what I do with the kick drum on the 880 is I, I add an X. I, so I've designed it so that in the original value, I've d- increased the decay a bit. Hmm. But even though I use higher specification components, like with tighter tolerances, I still get variations in kick drum decay between yeah. 880s. And so I, I listen to each one and I actually hand solder a specific resistor value in into that circuit to get the decay kind of in the range that I want it. At some point, sometimes it will self-oscillate. So if you have the decay all the way up, it'll just, you, you, I've, it's, it's messed me up a few times where I'll be in, in the studio or in the shop listening and I'll, there's just be this like low booby yeah. drone. And I'm like, where's yeah. that coming from? And yeah. then I realize I've got the decay is all the way up and I've, yeah. I've tuned it so that it's self-oscillating. You know, and like I think the, the tip top uh, the tip top does that. BD eight oh eight does that. Yeah, it does that as well. And so, because you know, people want it, but also I like it, right? Like a yeah, big, yeah. boomy, long decay. Like the Volca Beats has an amazing kick drum. It does, and it, it and has it, like it has what I consider like a, a sort of cultural reinterpretation of an eight oh eight. Yes, kick yeah. drum. Like that's yeah. what people think an eight oh eight kick drum is 
is and in use it's amazing right like i love the i love the beats kick drum it's, it's an, it sounds amazing it's an amazing design so yeah so there's kick drum and then uh the only other major change which i think i may have talked about we may have talked about over email is the clap yeah so the 808 clap is the bane of cloners it is incredibly difficult to get an 808 clap to sound right and um the mat i i still don't 100 percent know what the, the magic is there and it may have been the reason why roland said forget this we're just digitally we're doing it in software like because we can't like we you know we can't get it i don't know i'm just speculating but i'm like that was really tough um did you so and, in what sense wrong and right like so what is right yeah so to me when i listen to an 808 clap an original 808 clap it's it's got this great yeah it's sort of a low shy and then it it has this sort of the 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 reverb on it the noisy reverb on it It, it's cavernous yeah it should be long yeah if you close your eyes it's and it's not only the length of it it's the it's the frequency components of the noise in it where you're yeah you close your eyes and you're like i'm in a warehouse at like four in the morning and there's 808 in here yeah Yeah. like there's there's just something about it that's very hard to describe and so i got into this because uh, when I was fixing people's 808s, I actually had someone bring me a Yocto to work on. Yeah. And I also had someone bring me a Miami to work on. Yeah. And what I noticed when I was working on both the Miami and the Yocto is that they're both good clones. Every instrument sounds sounds great, sounds very 808-ish, uh, except their claps did not sound right to my ears. Um and so then I started to really dive down into it because I, I had a friend who brought, he had an original 808 and he had a Yocto and he was like, I hate the clap on my Yocto. Like it doesn't sound right. And then I listened to it. I'm like, it's, it's, there's a different frequency component to the, the noise in the, in the clap. Mm. And so to, to really get into the weeds here. Please do, because I've, I've got an unbuilt Yocto yeah. <laughs> uh, as well. <laughs> and if, if I do finally build this bastard, and it's going to be probably in this period where we've got nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> we're not that's yes, now's a good time. Yeah, <laughs> I, need to, I need to Jeff Lee my clap. Because, yeah. But, and I've said this to you on email. I'm not just saying this, but the, just the clap on the 880 is, is absolutely the best clap I've heard on 808. Yeah, you know, you, make. you have you have like a beta unit, right? And yeah, I feel that, like, and I, I'm I'm slightly worried about that. Like that's why I'm. I yeah, I hear your clap in the demos, and I'm like, that clap sounds amazing. When I, when I'm, like, I'm not <laughs> sure. Do we if need it's, to like? Yeah. Do I need to like like put it in ice and sort yeah, of? Yeah, like, I'm like, do I we, don't. Yeah, I don't know if the production 880s have a clap that sounds quite that good. So yeah, lock 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 your doors. I mean, on my one, I'm sure I'm allowed to say this, but like on my one, like when too many of the leds light up as well the open hats make it like a little tremolo based on your the symbol your si- but the symbols symbol so my symbols right. jiggle yeah, yeah. with the amount of leds that's right that yeah. like so like the pattern itself influences the sound that's I right i consider yeah. that a feature and not a bug yeah so you unfortunately <laughs> or unfortunately depending on the way you look at it that that was corrected in the production room. it is yeah the real ones yeah. don't do that the real ones the, the yeah yeah but you but on the other hand you have the special clap that i don't I've think got the, is, the, the, the production versions are not quite there but what <laughs> yeah. what it what it is is the 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 
you have this white noise that comes into the clap circuit and it goes through VCA. But before it goes through the VCA, it goes through a, a bandpass filter. And the, the pass band of that filter, the, the width of it and its frequency response is really the par- big part of yeah. the sound of the 808 clap. And so, uh, my, and again, this is pure speculation, but I think that the, a, a brand new out of the box 808 in 1981, it's clap probably sounded closer to like a Yocto clap or, um, mm. or a Miami clap. Tighter and less cavernous. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And brighter, like higher, higher noise frequencies, less rolled yeah. off. Right. Um, and so it's it's the it's the pass band frequency and it's the width it's the width of the band and the center frequency that are different, and so on the 880 I fiddled with that, um, and I fiddled a bit with the decay to kind of get something that I was like this is kind of as close as I feels can reasonably better. get yeah. yeah it feels better it's it's the only thing where there's like there's three components where I've changed the values in from the original. Um, and hmm. and it's you know in my mind again because I'm obsessive in my mind it's still sort of the we, the weakest part of the it's like it's just when you hear when you have a 35 year old 808 sitting on in your studio and you get that clap going like I don't know my ears started to get clap fatigue where I was like I can't listen to an 808 clap yeah, yeah. anymore I've ruined it for myself because <laughs> I'm just obsessed over it for so many months but uh, I have not heard the RDA clap I. I it might maybe they may have nailed it. Can I'm I, not sure. I, I, I would I, I would basically picture this. So you're in, we're in the uh, Fez in Berlin. Yeah. And there's you look across and you see a man who looks just like me walk up yeah. to the RDA like two yeah. years ago when they were first showing it. Yeah. And he, you will see this man put on the headphones, so look at this thing and kind of sort of scowl slightly, yeah. and then and then turn the level controls of everything down. And then just turn up the 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 level controller is the fifth from the from the right. Yep, yep. And then and just sort of and program a few little buttons and then yep. hit start. And then just also immediately screw up his face and shake his head <laughs> and just go, Jeff's one was better. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff's one's better. That's that's so, very very nice of that theoretical yeah, person to again, say. Again, this is slightly problematic <laughs> if if yeah. it transpires that I have yeah. a slightly Maybe we, I don't know, like, can you remember, but mine can't be so different if it was, yeah, it's a beta, but did you change the values between, no, I remember don't, what I, the, I can't remember. There's, the, but you know, there's a little magic cooked up in a, in a, in the prototype. I don't, it's like, I, but uh, yeah, that was the, t- that was the toughest part. Um, and so, you know, I, after having been through that process, I'm like, I understand why Roland didn't want to go down this road yeah. and, just, and just went. I feel now it. like, do they, do, is that not what they have on the TRAS where you get some, you get more controls? Like, and I went, I know they're yeah. even on the, their TRO8, the, the yeah. one that looks the beautiful looking like mini, it looks a bit like, yeah. like the 880, but yeah. that, that on that one, you can like tune the bass drum and there are a few little yeah. tweaks that you can do. Yeah. So, yeah. And the other thing with the clap is that um, there's an offset control in the back. And so that kind of controls the the blending of the, the really sharp, like, you know, like offset attack. And then the, and then the, on the 880, on the, on, on the, just an 808 clap in general has an offset right. trimmer. It's like inside. That you inside. Can 
yeah so the rd8 has brought that out to a knob on the front panel yeah. so you can you can adjust it so again when you when i'm tuning um 880s when i'm calibrating them i i have a very specific way to get them all to sound the same right but if you adjust that offset you'll get it you know you can basically tune it to taste right so yeah. i've actually ha- i've had a couple of customers get in touch with me and say, oh, I love your 880, it sounds great, but like the clap is not quite what I want or what I was expecting. And I'm like, well, if you want to, you know, take a trimmer tool and very carefully like adjust the the offset trimmer on the back. And I I adjust it from a more engineering perspective. I adjust yeah. it for I adjust it for like minimum noise bleed through the VCA on the clap. Whereas yeah. a user could adjust it by ear and be like, oh, that's what I want to hear. And I've had a couple of people do that. And they're like, oh, I just, I made like a little tiny turn of that offset trimmer. And now like the clap is exactly what I want. Um, so again, so many, too many variables, right? Hmm. And, and d- different expectations. I wouldn't be surprised if eight, eight, you know, an 808 recorded in 1980 straight out of the box sounded like a Yocto. Like like a brand. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just the, this, 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 pass this bandpass filter that the noise goes through that that's definitely changed with age mm, that's uh, interesting yeah i find it fascinating it's like it's yeah it's it's lots and lots and lots of things all all sort of pulled into one thing but it's also most of all it's like people's it's the it's our like relationship and our sort of yeah just the kind of our expectations playing off of reality and yeah. like and, and and it's that thing you know it's like the you know the greatest song is a tribute is like it's your yeah. memory of something is not it's not the yeah. thing it's not the thing so at all. i had a i had a funny experience uh back in january i think so you you presumably know the ra- rabbit elephant the the guys Absolutely. that make the yep. make yep. A natural gate yeah. so unbeknownst to me uh one of them is toronto based um right. And, uh, and he, he and I, we got invited by, uh, Moog, Moog Audio, the music store in Toronto to do a filter workshop. Um, so he's been interested in designing filters and I obviously have designed a filter. Um, so we were invited by Moog Audio to do a monthly, they have like a monthly modular workshop. And so we went in and we, and we talked about filters. And so Yanni of Rabbit Elephant, he had been really in studying filters in depth. So he had, I don't know, half a dozen uh, Eurorack filters that he was working with and he was listening to them. He was recording them in that very, like if you've heard the rabbit elephant guys talk, like they, they really get into the weeds around how things sound and how things are used. Um, And so he got really deep into these six filters and we, we talked about them, compared them all. Um, you know, and in the end, he was like, you know, by the time they're all sitting in a mix, unless they're radically different topologies, you, you know, they, they don't, it, it almost doesn't matter. Like, it was kind of the, conclu- the conclusion that came. And I, I kind of had the same idea. I'm like, you know, although I designed Jove and I like Jove and I, and I, and I like 24 dB Roland style filters, like I very rarely encountered a filter that I don't like. So long as it, filters and it has resonance then and you can modulate it with an envelope or an lfo then i'm like it's 
that's it sounds amazing right so on the one hand we can have a 20 minute conversation about how to clone the 808 clap but then on the other hand you could be like all the you know there's you know hundreds of different filters in your rack but like you can really just pick one that or two that you like and then and then just like you'd be fine not not right. worry about it anymore yeah <laughs> like <laughs> i think this also especially applies i mean you're absolutely right and it's like i think it doubly triply applies to oscillators as well oh for sure people <laughs> yeah. agonize over oscillators yeah. i was going to ask you like yeah just just to please like that whole thing you know like like i don't know if does the the 810 yeah. you know does that is that a roland oscillator do you know what i mean or is that like is that a thing is yeah. there a roland is there a you know system 100m oscillator sound or is yeah. it to do with is it to do with amplifiers and is it to do with filters and, and and is it to do with just like you know seeing the cover of some magazine and always loving Roland things and and that just coloring any impression that you're making? Yeah, of? I think it's a it's mostly the latter. Like, there's like, I would not say that I'm a very deeply critical oscillator listener, so. I, I, when I re, you know, when people write about oscillators, like, oh, the square wave is, it has, it's rounder or it's woody more hollow quality or to it's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, people would throw it on scopes rather than just yeah, actually listen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, every oscillator has slightly different sort of uh, imperfections in the waveform, right? So, especially when you get into like uh, triangle waveforms, some of them have a little reset peak. Yeah. So, you get that get those are harmonics that get added and some people like that some people don't like it yeah i've never really got into the deep into the weeds waiting around with oscillator comparing a being oscillators um i did a i did so the a10 has a roll vintage roland dish design it's sort of a hybrid of a bit of the system 100m and a, there's actually a little bit of jupiter 8 designs in there because the mm. jupiter 8 jupiter 8 has kind of interesting wave shaping circuitry so i took some of the wave shaper stuff that converts the the ramp or saw wave to the other waveforms and um when we read people online you'll hear these you read these very detailed uh sort of descriptions of different oscillators and i don't want to i don't want to diminish what people are hearing because you know some people it's i think it's maybe a bit like like wine right like there's, there's some people. Cork sniffers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm oh, so shit. close. Oh, no. oh, oh, no. No. Yeah, you, you led me so. I was so close. Um, so, but I think you know, I don't want to. I don't want to diminish cork sniffing. I think. I think there's a. There's some people. Some people want to sniff corks, and some people don't. And you know, I like to drink wine, and I enjoy wine. But like, I can't tell my nose and palate can't tell the difference between like a $20 bottle of wine and a $100 bottle of wine, but other people's I think can, right? So there's in the wine world, there's this idea that some people are super tasters and there's some debate about whether or not that's a mythology or if it's, if it's actually mm. real that there's yeah. people that are just like, they've, they've through both maybe genetics and through training, they've, they have more taste receptors or they're better able to perceive and distinct and make distinctions between tastes and aromas and stuff and i why couldn't it be the same way with sound right maybe you know like we damage our ears we damage them as we get older young people can hear better than older people um we we maybe have different frequency responses slightly so someone listening to an oscillator in great detail may prefer one oscillator over the other i personally do not when i ab oscillators i'm like they sound very close 
Yeah. Um, but I think it's only when you get into personally, it's like, I feel it's almost more relevant. Like, how does the oscillator react to other sources and to internal right. manipulation? Yeah, like, how does yeah, like, exactly? I've just been trying to pull apart the the Buchler complex oscillator that's in the um, in the music easel, and you know that design, and, and especially the you know the timbre control, i.e., the wave folder. Yes, there is yeah. Clearly and obviously, a very particular way that it is wave folding that does not necessarily sound like any other wave folder. Yeah, and it, and it, even if which even just with sort of like bog standard, uh, like uh, saw saw core triangle core oscillators, the way they respond to CV, the way the the way they sync, right? They can yeah. all. That's where you start to hear real real differences. I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm yeah, funny. I'm not too picky about oscillators. Like in general, uh, I think I've, I've talked about before. Like my most I'm most interested in interface. Yeah. Right. How do you use it? You take two oscillators or filters or VCAs or whatever, the exact same circuitry, but how they're broken out on the panel, how you interact with them. To to me, that's I'm very very picky about that. So yeah. Um, and. As as we know in your rack, some people care about that, and some people just want to cram as much as much functionality into as few HP as possible. And so that's why I get requests for Skinny Jove, right? Or Jove is fourteen Skinny HP. Jove, it's, yeah, yeah. It's too wide, people are making right? like micro Joves, and yeah. Like and I released an official eight HP Jove, and it like sold out, and yeah, they and it sold out in twenty four hours. And I'm like, okay, so okay, damn it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I you know personally, I prefer the. The Joe, the fourteen HP Joe. Yeah, I like, I like the bigger. I mean, like I've got, I, I saw that and I was like, hmm. If I owned yeah. the eight sixty, I'd be able to fit more things in my live system. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't need more things in my live system. Like, yeah. I, have, <laughs> I have enough things to manage like, in real time as I'm like trying to invent music. But that's what I love about it. There's something for everyone, right? There's there's something for people that are really, really finicky and precise. They want, you know, they want VCAs that close all the way and have no bleed through and hand, handle zero crossing exactly the way that they want. They have these very, you know, sine waves that are, have like zero harmonics. You know, they'll put them on spectrum analyzers and make sure that there's there's no extra harmonics. It's just a pure sine tone. There's modules for those people, and there's and there's modules for people that maybe are more like the way I design modules is like I have a collection of vintage synths. I want to be able to kind of partially recreate some of my things that I like about vintage synths in a in a Eurorack system. Yeah, and now, now there's enough choice that you could be like, oh yeah, I, w- I want to recreate like a System 100 M all the functionality in like a Eurorack system. And you don't have to go to just one company to do that. You can now, you know, you've got the system 500 modules. You've now got the Behringer modules. You've got a handful of system 80 modules. And then there's still others. Right? Yeah. There's still other players that are like, you know, we have these. And I think that's great. Like, Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. There's kind of, yeah, there really is some of, I mean, that's what, yeah, Tom Whitwell talks about this and sort of, you know, and that's where we're, we're approaching is it's a mature market. There's the choice. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I love it. Something for yeah. everyone. Um, yeah. And, you know, my tiny niche market of that is, do you like vintage analog synths? Do you like vintage Roland analog synths? Do you sort of like the workflow and aesthetic of that era? Then, you know, you can have a little bit of that in your Eurorack. 
Um, and then you can throw in mutable as well, or some other, you know, you can throw in the sort of very sleek, clean, intelligent stuff, or you can throw in the West coast make noise stuff. And like, yeah, it's great. Is it your system that's on your Instagram where you've got like the stepper acid and the, it is your system. Yeah. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. For me, I'm kind of looking, I want to see what an all system 80 system looks like. I bet it looked pretty good. Like that sort of. Yeah. Well, because I don't have a envelope generator, so that to complete a system, and I actually have had requests for this, but to complete a, if you wanted a full subtractive analog voice in System Eighty, you'd have to have an envelope generator, and I have multiple requests. It my technician is like, why don't we do an envelope generator? And I'm just like. Uh, is it fun? It's, yeah, I don't. I've I've designed some envelope generators because when I was working on my polysynth, I had to design some voltage control envelope generators. But uh, I just I don't get that excited about envelope generators, and there's already yeah. a lot out there. there really? So are. yeah, maybe so you just, just need to like sign a deal with like Magpie or whatever, just to like make yeah. the aesthetic and just yeah, like here's the panel and yeah, you could, yeah, and like here, yeah, here's like the design, yeah, because like just to like change the depth for one or something, like yeah, so that it, yeah, reskin yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You could, yeah, you could get a, you could just repanel another envelope generator with it the system. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, done. yeah, I know. It's a, so yeah, this it's yeah, it's great that people want want to do that. Although, what I would say, um, I know that um, all you've like, um, oh, okay, now maybe like basically when you see your modules in a line, this is a, a hallmark of a uh, someone who's like thinking big is where all of you know that that you've respected the lines of the knobs where there's a kind of knob height. So things are in rows, basically. Yes, Sometimes yeah. you'll see with manufacturers where they've designed things at different times and not thought about how they will look together. Then you have things where, like, by half a centimeter that it's down or above. Uh, I, I am not... The 850s, the knobs are like half a cent, half a centimeter higher. So you're kind of out. Of yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's maybe exaggerated by the fact that the 810 is a wide module. Yeah, and it kind of looks like it's three different modules, and of course everything is true. all aligned there. Yeah, oh, that's so, true. Yes, yeah, that's so true. I, I am guilty of not planning that well ahead. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. yeah, so uh, I, I now my new designs are more conform more to the eight. 80 sorry the 810 you could do standard. a special edition 850 couldn't you where it's just that the yeah. it was just shifted yeah, down yeah just shift everything down yeah get them all lined wow. up yeah because uh oh, yeah so i haven't had any complaints about non-matching knob and jack meetups so i'm sure it'll so. happen don't worry <laughs> give it time give it time people will find anything to complain about yeah yeah so yeah. you know like in general i found the Eurac market because i actually am not really a big Eurac guy i yeah. i can't I came into uh, I came into synthesis through my vintage collection, and then I got into modular through Five U systems. So I had a big ModCan system. I have a .com Five U system. Your rack was just a sort of convenient format to work in, um, and there, and obviously there's a, a large ex- pre-existing market, so it made made sense to to make stuff for your rack. But I I found that the community is very sort of receptive and open-minded and people are like really nice and um yeah so it's 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 been it's been nice working in that format and now we're doing this it's desktop enclosure for the 880 so that's actually kind of the first breakout of strictly Eurorack. 
Has that got trigger inputs? Or is it sure does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd get, be in a lot of trouble if it didn't. Well, like, yeah. I, I honestly, I'm like, I don't need trigger inputs on it necessarily. I'm not, I, but then I've got MIDI in and I've got a circle on. So I'm yes, kind of like, yeah. I've, I've kind of, that itch is scratched. Yeah. Thank no, I totally much. get it. Pe- pe- people have a lot of trigger sequencers, right? They, and they're interested in doing different, they want to trigger in different ways. They want to use these Euclidean sequencers to trigger. They want, they want, um, they, you know, you can use like a, Pamela's new workout to to sequence it if you have yeah, trigger yeah, totally. inputs. Like, there's all kinds of cool ways. You know, I'm very partial to the you know XOX style, uh, you know, sixteen step step sequencer. But you know, your rack is about experimentation and about discovering different ways of doing things, right? And so I get it that people want trigger input. It's on on a, on a drum module, so. They're coming. Will you so, have a separate? Are you going to have a separate Eurorack module as well? Uh, yeah, I think so. That, th- yeah, that I may do. I need to kind of figure out the numbers first because in the kind of Eurorack market that I work in, like we can kind of do the minimum we can make is like thirty units. Like yeah. it's it's really hard to to make any money at all if you make less than. 30 i mean even 30 is like kind of pushing it it seemed crazy to, you only made 30 of those cpu filters as well that's right and so we actually the way that worked is that i did 30 of the cpu filters and then i did 30 of the 860s at the same time and the agreement i had with cpu is that we would sell the cpu ones as like a special edition yeah and then wait a while and then, and then do your own thing yeah so we did a total of 60 of those and that was the only way to make it viable I just don't know. Why did you do so few? Why not just like crank them out? Well, it's just, there's a certain overhead and it's like, uh, the weird thing with the 860 is is you start to feel like you're competing with yourself, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, and like, I I get, literally get emails every week being like, are there any more 860s? When are you doing more? And I'm like, well, we have lots of Jove in stock still, like because we we but just. Then it's like, but they hate. You know, you've got to give people options. You've got to yeah, have like yeah. the, you know, give people the little and give them the large as well. Yeah, yeah. And then do like a super one that's got like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Mark Two, like. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm. I, I got into this because I wanted to design a polysynth. And and having done a few Eurorack modules, I, I especially now that I can't, we, I mean, we're literally not making anything right now. I'm I'm hoping to get some time to get back into designing a, getting into like programmable, like designing a, a real voice, like a synthesizer, like a two oscillator subtractive analog monosynth. This kind of my next project. Which do you think this sort of is there an angle on this that, that no one else is doing or done or i'm thinking of like that you know the space b1 and stuff is like yeah there you've got like some hot competition in the, the yeah. realm of like well interesting aesthetic takes on rolling things yeah there. the 880 started as a completely just for myself i was like i'll just see if i can cram all of the circuitry of an 808 into a 60 hp Eurorack module and i that that was inspired by the the mother 32 People announced the mother. The mother tree came out. People are like, "Oh my god!" Like Moog Music is making a Eurorack module. They're going to do Eurorack. Like this is crazy. And oh, but it's like 60 HP. That's so wide. But there's a lot of functionality in there. There's a sequencer. There's like there's a whole patch bay. And 
it was very successful, right? So I thought, yeah, this is kind of like a format, right? And I also was like, well, you can get a 60 HP case for it. So if anyone, so I literally, the, the, uh, my design constraints were 60 HP sequencer, all the functionality of an 808 in a 60 HP Euro rack module, not for any like not for any market, just for my own for you. interest for me. Market, yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. Despite the fact that I already owned two 808s. So it's not like, it wasn't done out of like, I really want an 808. Yeah, yeah, this is course. the only way to do it. Right? So, uh, so in the, it, the same thought process applies to doing a, a monosynth, right? It's like, I just, I want, I want to make something that's like my, so I do a lot of fantasy panels, right? Like if I don't feel like getting into deep, design work or writing firmware then i'll just like open up like my my uh you know vector graphics editor and just start designing fantasy panels yeah um and uh so i've designed i've you know i've got a panel where i'm like this is it's 60 hp as well <laughs> but it's like this is a what i would want in a in a monosynth and then the angle for yeah, me could- is that it's programmable so i i love programmability i love patch saving and recall in the analog realm so i'm just like again i've already done i did a prototype about four or five years ago um and i'm like i just want a nice programmable analog polysynth so just that whole idea of hybrid design digital analog hybrid design i find that Mm. really interesting it's kind of fun to work with so that's kind of what i'm hoping to do I remember your like Instagram post of like and a blank eight. Was that is there an for the coming year for twenty twenty? Oh yeah. That that may have just been a teaser. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll like, probably do one. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably do say. something. Not time will tell. Who knows? We'll have an eight, eight. I yeah, I can't spell the future. Yeah. Like it's like <laughs> No one can see what was happening in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, that's kind of everything that I'm trying to do, although currently shut down it's going to take longer than i thought and yeah. i'm stuck at home with four children for probably at least six months god yeah i mean it's just, it's sort of crazy and i'm i'm in a war of like yeah being able to get any work done if you're also yeah doing it's, childcare is, is yeah yeah is there's incredible. not not a lot happening but there's a little bit like i i just get little tiny like bits of micro work done yeah. um sort of like 10 minutes here five minutes here then it's like yeah then like someone's hit somebody else or so someone's like says they're hungry and they need a sandwich <laughs> so then i'm like okay i stop doing what i'm doing go and deal with whatever needs dealing with with the kids and then i can just get back and kind of get back into it and then maybe more time for jamming right i don't know about you but like i'm I intend to during this lockdown to actually turn the gear that I have on more and try using it. Yeah. It's been very hard to find the time to sort of just spend unfettered time in the studio. Uh, yeah. And also we've been in, in between houses and yeah, uh, that's continued for a whole year or more, but my studio has kind of not been done. And actually in the last like three months in sort of, you know, 10 second bur- or 10 minute bursts, you know over three to four months i have bought a like open rack server consolidated variety of racks into one massive 32u rack um i've also done things like purchased some dream machines that i wanted including the k1m yeah particularly particularly including the uh, roland mks7 
which yes, I, yeah. which I just got, and I am I am delighted and over the moon with it. It is one. It's just wonderful. But it's the it's the rack it's the rack version. Yes. Yeah. Now, do you have the programmer for it? No. So wait, wait. So the MKS seven is that's the that's the it's three Juno one hundred sixes and okay. seven hundred seven in a box. Oh, it's, it's okay. Completely. Yeah. See, this is where my encyclopedic synth Sorry. knowledge is, is gone, right? You caught <laughs> me, you caught me off guard. I'm like, he's not, he's like you've dumped vintage synth.com. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, that's not up. in there anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure if it is on vintage synth.com. Yeah. So, like, but it's a, it's a rack unit. It's a, it's a two year rack unit. It looks yeah. like it looks on the face of it, like nothing at all. There's like four right. sliders and there's like a two, you know, LCD little two, you know, two digit. Okay thing and and yeah inside it's three full juno well no it's not it's it's three juno 106 voices two of which are full complete architecture voices one of which is a more limited bass voice Jeez. all three are fully programmable um and you can actually put it into engineer mode and you can edit their voices from the front panel um and if you connect it, it will respond to MIDI CCs. And oh, okay. I think SysX. Because yeah. yeah. it was early, it's early MIDI. It was almost like it was 1984, like MIDI is in its infancy. They were like, what can we do with this? Yes. And yeah, yeah. what we can do is this. And we've, we've just made, yep. we've made the Juno 106. It's got memory and it's got MIDI. Let's take some of that. Let's roll that into a product. Let's take the 707 and let's take the ride from the 909 yes, and let's put yeah. it all into one box. And that's what they did. And it was really, it was a prototype JV 1080. That was sort of okay. what it was supposed to be. So it's the gray one. Like it's got it's, a gray. So there's two, the, there's there's a, two versions of it. There's the there's a super white quartet. One. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm looking. Yeah, I'm just looking at yeah. it now. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. but there's a white one, and the white one has no um, rack ears. It's like it was meant to, oh, meant to yeah, be a desk. Yeah. So, um, but then there's a black one. I've got the black one, and it was yes, actually okay, yeah. well, nicest of all. A, it was like I got a crazy. I mean, it was like a very reasonable price. It was, yeah. uh, it, it was five hundred and fifty quid, yeah. which. In, in my this day mind, and age is pretty good, yeah. On eBay, yeah, for five hundred and fifty quid, and I was like, "This has got to be a joke." Like, yeah. you know, what people are scalping people for yeah. for Roland Polly's, and this is like it, it, it is glorious, and it's just just yeah. having having access to just a very limited subset of voices where, you, and yeah. it's like all Roland, and it's the you know, and it's just. And I, so I basically hooked up the Circlon to that and was just like, oh, made okay. it almost instantly <laughs> made like a little like groovy housey sort of, you know, proto house tune. It's just yeah. like, see, it's, it's quite inspiring to hear you because you're still like building your studio and putting well, it together. Yeah, this and, like, is it. I haven't done but, anything with it, but, but I am, I'm, I'm, I'm like making it work so I can actually fart yeah, around but, in it. But that, that's a huge part of the fun is like putting the studio together right? and, then, yeah. and like swapping things in and out. And like, and I feel like I've, I've dismantled my studio, right? Like literally a month or two ago, I like, I had everything all set up and plugged in, but I hadn't turned anything on a long time. So I literally, you know, Jupiter six, Jupiter four, nine Oh nine, like all Korg MS20, Prophet 600, like all, all this stuff is like just like getting wrapped in blankets and like going in the van to my mm. in-laws basement. <laughs> and so it's really nice to hear you say, oh, I've like really found like it's 
little specific piece of kit that I want. And then now that I've got it, it's like, makes me really happy. Um, <laughs> I still like, not done anything with it, but I mean, like I, I, I will, I will, I will. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it, I think you just need to, I mean, you, I think you made your mistake in selling, giving away your Mackie. You should have kept that. And then yeah. just at least have, <laughs> at least have three or four things that you can throw up on the Mackie and the 880. Yeah. And like a basic seat, you know, some kind of, you know, CVable sequence or like even just a beat step pro or something. Just yeah, so you've got yeah. something just to like do little sequences with and just control everything. Yeah. That I am also, I'm about to do some videos for this, the key step pro and yeah. that thing, you know, the key step pro plus the MKS seven is going to be, that's going to that's be, gonna be like Steve Rice sort of like house is what I'm going to make with. Got to do some, you've got to commit some jams down and go into the studio with one hour and get something happening and record it. Like, no matter whether it's good, bad, or a different, like, that's the good stuff about this gear. You know, if you, if you learn it fast enough, you can work that fast, like, where, and you'll throw something down and it, it, it probably will be shite, but that yeah. you do it enough times and you will occasionally just commit some absolute work of art down to, you know, especially if you're into electro and, and simple, yes, yeah. just simple music that it's just all really about jamming on one riff, like yeah. fader jamming one, one yeah. set of loops. Yeah. yeah that's and that's what I, so what I, yeah. And so the one thing I do now have is what I actually have had for years. I have like my portable rig. So that's when I'm on vacation and I'm like away from the house and I don't have like all the daily responsibilities of doing my regular life then I can just, I have like a rig that I got a couple of monitors and I can, and I have these great jams when I'm on vacation. And that's kind of like when the best stuff happens. Um, so like that, I love holiday jamming, I guess you could call it, right? Like it's, that's, and, and of course I haven't had any holidays recently. Probably the last one was like over Christmas, but, um, yeah, so this summer, you know, assuming we get some holiday time, then I'll bring my like holiday rig with me. And that's what the you see on my Instagram, those are pictures of my, mm. my holiday rig that I can carry around with me. Um and then the rest of them are just home jams which are still okay, but they're not quite as fun as the holiday jams. Mm. So, f I'm going to ask the final question which is what is the future of music technology? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know this question. Yes, because I've listened to almost all of you. You've your, listened to all these of things. Other, you know, you yeah. have to answer. It's your turn. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. I, I, I probably lost like 10 pounds running on the treadmill listening to your podcast. Yeah, so yeah, I, nice. feel like I, I feel like I owe you. And, I've, and I always hear that question and everyone is always like, oh, um, oh. It, it obviously um, is intentionally a really irritating <laughs> question, of which there's no good answer, but it usually yeah. throws up something. Something. It depends. Like there are often commonalities, but I, I probably to misuse the term, I, I will say we're kind of maybe in like a postmodern period of music technology where everything has been done yeah. and and has been remixed and mashed up, and so you know you've got the full suites of vintage synths available in software, and you've got full suites of vintage synths that are modeled in hardware you now have a big german company that's making full recreations of vintage synths um but then you have all these other crazy like really innovative instruments as well right like there's all the, the polyan stuff is like all really crazy and interesting and then there's the 
continuum. Like there's all, everyone's always experiment. There's always someone out there that is experimenting with like a new input method, right? A new way of performing, right? And mm. so I, I just, I see the future as just a continuation of mashing together like different ideas from different realms. You know, people want to do, I watched a video on Facebook today of a guy who hooked up like a motion controller to his Eurorack system and he was, he was, break dancing but like popping you know so every time he'd pop there'd be like some percussive element and his body would move and the pitch would change and you know and i'm like done like done well all that stuff can be like really cool right so uh so i don't know in the for the future i see kind of everything right like mm. more more dsp digital stuff more uh more more recreations of, of vintage analog um and uh more like there's always going to be these chaotic quixotic attempts to create new interfaces right like i think the big difference that you're seeing is which is really a part of it has really kick-started all the digital modules in your rack is that for the last 10 years the cost of entry both in like actual cost like dollar cost and experience of getting into developing for microcontrollers, right, is gone way down. So now, yeah. you know, people are using ra Raspberry Pis to make these incredibly complex DSP modules for Eurorack, and th that's we're really st now really starting to see the fruits of that. Where you like will get like a complex DSP module and you'll flip it over and there'll be like a, a Raspberry Pi on the back yeah. or a, yeah, yeah. or some other like a really high powerful like DSP board so in in the Eurorack market we're seeing a lot of that now right where to the point where maybe there's less interest in some of the analog modules because that's saturated every you know you can have every version of every vintage analog filter you want oscillators vcas mixers you know everything i wouldn't mind seeing more different sequencers right i love analog sequencers step sequencers stuff like that i would you know there may be there's some room for for even more greater different kinds of sequencing in Eurorack. Mm, things like that, that clay, the clay. Yeah, I have a, clay? yeah, I know a couple of people that have them and they just go bananas over them. I've never uh, used yeah. one. Yeah, uh, I have used, used one very briefly and I was like, yeah, okay, this is, this is a legit good other take on this type of thing. And it can be, you know, you can kind of make them things like them i probably if i understood more about it i could tell you if they really yeah. absolutely could be made but you know something like the turing machine it, that's actually you know i was like more i read about the turing machine i was like this reminds me of the clay and when i spoke oh. to tom he does mention he's like oh yeah yeah originally it was a clay clone clay clone. oh so uh, there is a so there is an element of rant repeating randomness that you can generate yeah and it's it's the use of shift registers basically uh, sort of okay right, right. The, the, the thing so it's um but yeah it, like there are there are so many different approaches to this stuff that you know and even in the analog domain that haven't been fully explored so it's sort of yeah it just just depends if people are looking to smash like people just need to smash things up more yeah, I think, because yeah. there's because you're right. There's like 
we've had versions of everything, but it's time, it's time for the sort of, you know, for more remixes. Yeah. And I don't see any reason, you know, every once in a while, you, you know, someone announces a new module and you get a few sort of cynical comments about it. Like, Oh, we've seen that before. That's not what I want. Or that's, you know, yawn. Mm. Um, but I, I like, I feel like, there's um, new and more stuff to for people to get into their own specific niches great right like yeah um i'm you know i still a couple times a year someone will release a, a music technology product that i simply have to have although actually the most recent purchase was i got a roland sync box like the s SBX01 like or something like one. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little green one. And I, I actually didn't even, I wanted it to do some, you know, MIDI, DIN sync, stuff like that. Um, and it, it probably doesn't do any, it probably does, doesn't do anything as well or as much as like a, a Pam's new workout. But I don't know I found one online. It was brand new in the box. It had never been opened. And I was like, I have to have this. <laughs> so, it's like, so, and it, it was like released in 2014 or something like that. And I, and, and then promptly discontinued. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I'm like, like, what the hell were we thinking? Is this yeah, I know, but it's amazing. Is yeah, 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 exactly. It's amazing. And it, it, it turns out I hadn't even noticed it's got a built-in MIDI DCV converter in it. Yeah, so yeah. now I've just got like, now I've got an extra channel of MIDI DCV to work with. But yeah, there's always always something new that comes out that is a combination of like features and sound and interface that like very specifically speaks to me, right? And that's what I like about Eurorack is that, you know, there's it's like something for everybody. Everyone can put together like a system that is just for them, like so specifically dialed into what they want. Amen. Amen. Cool, that. Jeff. Thanks very much for your yeah. time. Oh, my, my pleasure. Mate. Mate 08. Thank you, Jeff, for your time and being a stand-up chap sitting down talking to me. Thank you very much. He's a very nice man. And I was especially fascinated to hear about the clap. The clap. The little sort of bandpassy thing you have to adjust. It changes the tonality and also making it so it kind of explodes with infinite reverb. He's very interesting thinking about what is right and what is wrong in our interpretation of sounds. You know, that bit I was saying about Tip Top's 808 having infinite decay. You know, that is wrong. That is not what an 808 is supposed to do. But the whole point here is that what we expect of a device is, and our sort of cultural reinterpretation of them lends through 40 years of culture and it's changed. What we think of as the 808 is not what the 808 was in 1981 necessarily. What we think of 808s are many things that are boomy and, you know, have some of the trappings, excuse the pun, of the 808, which is a long-winded way of saying, really what we want now is not what we wanted then. I think that's what I mean. But yes, Jeff, thank you. Um, and Jeff sells things that you should buy. Jeff is doing a pre-order for the 880. They are building them Everything else, he says, is basically out of stock. And there's a bit of a sneak peek. 
there is a new thing. Jeff is working on a 10 HP Mark II version of the Jove called the 860 Mark II. Bit of a scoop. I think it's been rumoured. Um, or this is the beginning of the rumour. Uh, and it's a very well-founded rumour because Jeff told me to tell you that. Uh, so, um, check out the new 860, which is to say Jove. It is, personally speaking, it's one of my favourite filters in Eurorack. I use it with plats and it sounds so gorgeous and does that just hauntingly beautiful late 90s warp records acidy thing it's just a wicked filter and it'll be very nice to have a slightly smaller version of it it's coming so hound jeff to get a pre-order in and pre-order his 880 808 it's great mate if you enjoyed this please tell your mates this podcast will die if <laughs> in obscurity, as all podcasts will, I'm sure, at some point. So please do tell your mates we need this to grow. And if you're an advertiser, perhaps you'd like to advertise on the podcast. Uh, I want to thank Signal Sounds for being such wonderful people. So wonderful, I wrote a poem for you. Go to signalsounds.com and there you will see their wonderful stuff they've got in stock. And also, if you enjoyed this, go and listen to the previous episode, with Hazel Mills, if you've not heard it. An excellent chat, getting well nerdy also about Roland synths and talking about the Will Gregory Moog Ensemble and many other interesting things. Check it out. Thanks for listening. Be well. And I'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>